traffic. After receding for years during the global pandemic, it is returning to cities, small and large, around the United States. Debates over what to do about it never ended. The average American driver lost 51 hours and $869 in valued time by sitting in traffic in 2022. In 2019, before the pandemic, it cost the average American nearly 100 hours and nearly $1,400. Proposed solutions often include widening roads, adding public transit, building denser cities, and charging people to drive at certain times. That last is currently on the table in places such as New York, and it has met with fierce opposition from both sides of the political spectrum. Despite this, some say congestion pricing is the only way to directly reduce traffic in the long run in crowded, expensive cities like New York, where building just a mile of road or subway track can easily cost billions of dollars. In the long run, widening roads doesn't work. At some point, it will become expensive enough to pursue these strategies of adding capacity that don't actually address the problem, that I think people will be forced to consider congestion pricing. And in fact, that's what's happening. In 2011, two economists published this paper, basically providing evidence of something called the fundamental law of highway congestion a term that was first proposed by economist Anthony Downs in 1962. That law basically says, if you build it, they will come. The Sepulveda Pass stretch of Interstate 405 in Los Angeles is one example. After a $1 billion widening project, a USC-affiliated news group found traffic actually worsened. If you think about the history of Los Angeles, it will be obvious, which is Los Angeles has been adding roads in an effort to combat traffic congestion for generations without much success, right? It turns out that that pattern is not a peculiar one. Turner and Duranton found that when cities add 1% of lane miles to major roads or highways, they soon see a 1% increase in the total miles driven in the city. They saw that when they looked at road capacity and traffic data in a single city over time, and when they compared cities to each other. They also simulated a randomized controlled trial too impractical to run in real life. Using what Turner calls statistical tricks, the team added a 1% increase in lane miles to a model of half of the cities and metropolitan areas in the U.S., and not the other. They saw the same 1% vehicle miles traveled increase they found elsewhere. That suggested expanding roads caused people to drive more. The reason the paper was influential was because it's hard to do, and we were pretty successful at it. This phenomenon is sometimes called induced demand, and today, few dispute it exists. This fundamental law holds that building more transit, building denser, more walkable cities, or adding bike lanes doesn't really solve the problem either, since those things are also subject to induced demand. The solution is simple. Use pricing to divert drivers away from using roads at times when they are busiest and toward times when demand is lower. This is something that has been done many times in many places in the world, Singapore, for example. It is fantastically effective, right? And that in response to, if it costs a marginal $2 to do your commute at 7.30 instead of 7.15, there are many people who are willing to shift their commute by 15 minutes, by 30 minutes, in order to avoid these sorts of small tolls. New York's plan to price congestion is a cordon plan, meaning there is a line or cordon that runs from the bottom of Manhattan to 60th Street. Any car entering this zone on the island would have to pay a toll. 
For cars entering the district during peak hours, the fees could range from $9 to $23, depending on which plan under consideration the city chooses to adopt. Prices would be lower during off-peak hours and overnight. There also would be a 100% tax credit for people who live in Manhattan and who make less than $60,000 per year. I think New York can get this done and um, there'll be a lot of lessons that come out of that that will apply to other places. But pricing the system to make sure that people are actually paying for the system that they're using and then using those funds that goes back into the transportation system that either addresses the challenges for low-income drivers or expands the transit system and then providing other modes for people to get around. Over time, added lanes may once again fill up with traffic, but the picture is nuanced. Just like congestion doesn't have a single cause, there isn't a single solution. And for the most part, we recommend more of everything. In growing regions, especially where there's high population growth and high job growth, we almost have to look at capacity improvements. Bill Isley works at the Texas Transportation Institute at Texas A&M University. The Institute puts out a widely cited annual urban mobility report. Capacity improvements really do help. Adding lanes sometimes gets a bad rap because people will look out there and they say, well, that road is filled up again. Perhaps you've wasted our money on this. But as we look at that a little bit closer, that traffic that's been generated by the road or that suddenly appears to be created was actually on the transportation system already. They could have been travelers that were on a different route, taking a different mode, or perhaps traveling at a different time of the day. Traffic can be caused by several factors. It can be temporary or occasional, like when it is caused by a vehicle accident, road construction, or bad weather. Recurring congestion is the congestion drivers encounter during rush hour or on roads that always seem clogged, like this one in Los Angeles or this one in Atlanta. It's a supply-demand imbalance. The demand for road travel exceeds the supply of roads, essentially. But accidents, road construction, bottlenecks, and traffic signals can also worsen that recurring congestion. Addressing those factors can make a difference, at least in the short term. The debate is, does adding a, a lane to a freeway work? Well, it depends on what you mean by work. Does it reduce congestion? Pretty much there's agreement that yes, in the short term, at least. Where it differs, though, is in the long term. And that is where things like induced demand come in. And though public transit, bike lanes, and sidewalks are also subject to induced demand, they still make a difference in the kinds of challenges a city faces. You could put 500 people into a subway car, right, versus 500 people driving here on K Street, and the magnitude of the impact is, is completely different. You say the same thing for a bike lane, for example, right? If you build a bike lane out here, you have a lot of people using it because there's a lot of demand for that. But the impact of that is not going to be anything that's going to be a major public policy concern, like it's going to be when we think about single occupant vehicles, or a bunch of trucks that are clogging up the roads. One issue all these solutions do have in common, they cost money, all of them. You know, in New York, how much is building an additional rail line? Billions. Um, how much is building an additional freeway? Billions. Building an interstate bridge, that's one of the things in Washington State that connects Portland, Oregon to Washington State. I mean, that's like $4.5 billion. I mean, that's not cheap. The COVID-19 pandemic kind of messed up everything. Before 2020, the conversation around traffic was mostly dominated by the topic of congestion. When the pandemic hit, the roads cleared. Safety took the place of congestion as cars sped down empty roads and freeways. Now, traffic is back. 
Inrix provides transportation data to a broad range of clients. It publishes the widely known traffic scorecard, ranking cities around the world. Of American cities, Chicago, Illinois had the worst traffic delays in 2022. The average driver spent 155 hours in traffic. It's the second worst record in the world, just one hour less than London's. U.S. cities saw the return of the morning commute in 2022, but some features are totally new. The trick now is people are leaving perhaps later in the day. We're seeing that you know, there's traffic sort of all day now. There are the peaks, but it's not necessarily always quite as peaky, if you will, in general. It's certainly changed our travel behavior. Trips to downtown areas increased in 2021, still below 2019 levels. At least some of New York's key real estate sectors continue to underperform relative to pre-pandemic levels. In the fourth quarter of 2022, Manhattan office leases fell 8% from the third quarter and were 25% lower than the five-year average. Across the U.S., telecommuting has now become the second most common form of commuting after driving a car. This presents a whole new set of traffic problems. For example, some data show that when people work from home, particularly for longer stretches, they generate more trips than they would if they were making a traditional commute. Even though you intuitively think, well, if you're working from home, there you go, you're not commuting, therefore it's, it's better. But it actually is more trips, more frequent, maybe shorter trips, um, maybe in suburban areas. So how does that all play? I don't think we have a good handle on that yet. 